Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, and welcome back to Creative Writing Episode 6, Part 2. I hope everybody had a glorious New Year's with lots of festivities. I think I was in bed at 11.30. We left off with uh, Krampus, and since he and Ramona aren't here at my disposal, I'm going to have to reuse some of the old intro, and then we're just going to start our list of 10, 10 things you can't live without right where we left off. So with no further ado, we'll do that, and then we'll get into... Uh, some of the regular stuff we were expecting for this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode six. Point two. This is not really Ramona Sanders. Today we're going to finish our talk about 10 things you can't live without and pumping loss. And something else that you won't believe is related to motorcycling. Dude, if a Euro will wheelie, that thing will wheelie. All right. So welcome back to episode 6.2. Here is Krampus and I finishing off the list of 10 things you can't live without. Hello, here's an audio drop from the future. I talked to my wife who recently started listening to the podcast got some really good feedback. And uh, I lost mine and Krampus's audio when I transferred it over to a second episode. Well, I lost his audio. And I'm just going to go ahead and finish off the list here by myself of the 10 things motorcyclists can't live without. And according to my wife's advice, I'm going to quit ranting. So it's going to be a much shorter segment. Thank you and goodbye. All right. Coming in at number five is Gore-Tex, and it's uh, the fifth thing you can't live without as a motorcyclist, and the reasons being that the potential to replace leather is the biggest positive for Gore-Tex. It's breathable, uh, it lets air pass through while repelling water at the same time, and I agree with them wholeheartedly on on this, Uh, no more ranting, and no more tangents, so... Yes, for Gore-Tex, and leather still has its place, um, but for being able to integrate um, abrasion-resistant materials and all sorts of protective uh, armoring and things like that, Gore-Tex and textiles in general is the way to go. Um, A quick history lesson, Gore-Tex was invented in 1969 by uh, Wilbert Gore and his son, Robert Gore, and Basically, it was like a porous form of polytetrafluoroethylene, and what they found is that it had this um, quality that could it could hold air and insulate you extremely, extremely well. So that's one reason that Gore-Tex uh, became really popular with outdoor clothes and winter clothes because it was still breathable and it repelled water and it repelled cold really well while retaining heat. Something interesting that I was reading about the waterproof and breathability of Gore-Tex is that the early fabrics were a thin, porous uh, fluoropolymer, which is basically um, a Teflon coating bonded to fabric. 
And that membrane had about 9 billion pores per square inch. And they were so small that a, a water droplet could not pass through it, but water vapor could exit. So that's how uh, you retain the breathability and waterproof quality. So it's not waterproof because of any, any special coating. You can spray Scotch Guard and stuff on them. But what happens is when you've got Scotch Guard on your garment and then you wash it or you know you wear it a few times, when that wears off, Basically, the outer material can become wet and get soaked. But what happens then is that since the air can't pass out of it because there's an actual water droplet sitting on top of the fabric, your sweat starts to condense inside the jacket, and that's why it feels like it's not working. But actually, it is. So while some water-repellent coatings need to be reapplied or have... A secondary one reapplied, you know, resprayed on. Apparently, with Gore-Tex durable water-resistant coating, all you need to do is tumble dry it or low iron it, and it'll reinvigorate the coating on it and bring it back to life. Gore-Tex, awesome. Let's move on to number six. Transitions face shields, something they can't live without. And, you know... I made the mistake of taking a tinted visor out this summer and it was August. It was really bright. It was really hot. I really needed that thing. And I really needed to come home before it got fucking dark. I went out to Paris to watch some flat track racing and stupidly, so stupidly, I left um, well after dark and I did not bring a clear shield to switch out. And needless to say, that was one of the longest, scariest rides home because uh, my eyes dried out before I even got like a mile away. And I couldn't see, obviously, when I flipped open the visor, uh, you know, between the tears and just the dry, hot air on my face, it was just like a blur. You know, I pulled over to the side of the road where I last had seen it and basically uh, just tried to put on the brakes and hope I didn't hit the dirt. And... um I had to pull over to a gas station and rinse my eyes out and stuff because they just got shit in them and they were just dried out and that was terrible. And, um, boy, what I wouldn't have given for one of these face shields, but can I live without them? Yeah, I do. But I think I'd like to try one actually. I don't want to look like the, the cockhead that has the, um, transition glasses and looks like the creeper when he goes out to the park, but looks like the, uh, the BTK killer when he's in, I don't know. Why am I mentioning this? I don't know. Okay, so I'm not complaining and I'm not ranting, but uh, just a statement of fact that I wish the transition shields went a shade or two darker. You know, my welding hood has a setting and it's photosensitive. So when, you know, obviously the bright light from the tip of the welder comes on, it darkens. And maybe they could have something like that. It's got incremental shades on the left so that you can use it for, you know, all sorts of welding. And maybe uh, somebody can get with the visor manufacturer, make a trillion bajillion dollars. And you can say, you heard it here first, where, you know, we make an incremental shield that goes not just to dark smoke, but maybe really dark, you know. Just an idea. All right. Next item. 
So number seven is heated grips. And they made a good point about heated grips extending your riding season, making you feel more comfortable when you're riding in rain or snow. And they jokingly mentioned that they come on the S1000RR. So if they're on this really premium sport bike, super sport bike, uh, why doesn't why don't they come on everything? They're not just on ADVs and long distance tours anymore. You know, this technology is trickling way down and we uh, basically are getting them on everything. So at this point in the conversation between Krampus and I, I also had heard uh, something coming in my doggy door. So here we go. Krampus and I um, returning us back to the original audio. Here we go. Enjoy. Thought it was a raccoon coming in the doggy door or something. That thing always makes noise like that. So let's get back to where we were here. Heated grips. So yeah. So now heated grips come on sport bikes. And there's so many bikes now coming out with heated grips as a standard. And even more coming with with them as optional like a factory option, not a aftermarket option. And with so many OEs offering them, you know, standard or as an optional, you know, original equipment manufacturer accessory, it's crazy to think that in a few years, uh, you know, the aftermarket may, you know, these parts might not exist in the aftermarket unless the OEs do a really crummy job um, or there's some way to improve what the OEs are doing. So it's something to think about. All right, re-edit here. I'm going to stop here because at this point, I rambled on about my ride up to the Angeles Crest for the Run for the Roses, how freezing cold it was, and how I could have benefited from heated grips, but I just wear gloves. So I'm going to cut all that out. We all know that if you want to keep your hands warm, what you can do. We all know that these options are out there. So I'm just going to re-edit this, and we'll move on to the next item on the list, like a bunch of cultured individuals that we are. Number eight. We're already at number eight, and it's helmet communicators. In-helmet communicators, Bluetooth, the ones that have GPS, the ones that have GoPro on them, the ones that have like a camera on them, and uh, everyone and their mama is vlogging now. And you know what? The world is a better place because of those vlogs. The world is a better place because person-to-person communication. And frankly, I re-edited this. Surprise, surprise. And I just wanted to say that... uh, Passenger to rider communication has been, you know, a staple on motorcycles for quite a long time. And it's really cool about these other systems that are coming on board that have integrated cameras. And you don't have to have this huge pod hanging off the side of your face looking like an old 1980s cordless phone anymore. And hey, there's nothing wrong with helmet to helmet communication. And in fact, I think that they have developed a system where you basically enter a field. And what that means, if you've ever played uh, multiplayer video games online, you'll know that some of them have this feature where when you're, you can see somebody on the screen far away and you can't actually hear them until they get closer. And I believe that there's a company out there, I have no idea who because I'm not like a gear junkie, but I have read some things and heard people talking about it where they've come up with that technology now where you're writing and instead of you know you do have to sync up with your buddies or the sync up with the group but you won't be hearing people's chatter when when they're out of sight you know you won't hear two guys if your group takes off and they're way ahead of you you won't hear whatever their conversation is 
all you'll hear is the people around you so that it remains relevant to the situation that you're in and where you're at on the road with your group of riders. So it's really cool. And uh, maybe in the future, I would like to get a helmet that has Bluetooth capability so I can take a phone call while I'm riding. The end. All right. Well, uh, number nine is quick shifters. And they say for track days or sport riding on a twisty road, quick shifters allow you to go faster with less drama. That's a direct quote from this Cycle World article. Um, you know what? I'm pretty good at quick shifting. And if you do it right, you don't even have to pull the clutch in. You can quick shift anything. You can quick shift your car if you drive a manual and you can rev match. You know, you can you can listen to the RPMs and you don't need a clutch. And I, from racing, um, it's really nice to be able to just zip through gears. And, you know, I would use a clutch downshifting, but I going up, I wouldn't uh, use the clutch that much. So, and that's in a car. I mean, the motorcycles is just a little, you let off the throttle just a tad and whap, you're right in there. You probably have shifted into gear when you didn't mean to. Um, you know, you didn't pull the clutch in all the way or something and you, you, your foot just did it or you weren't thinking or, you know, whatever's happening. And you've probably done it before on accident. And you realize with that little shift cam, how it works in there, if you've never seen a motorcycle shift cam, it's really cool. Um, how it works and how it actuates the forks, the shift forks and everything. So you uh, check that out on, they used to have some videos on how stuff works and, um, you know, internet's a big place, probably got lots of shit on how that works, but it's really cool. And, uh, it's really, they, they like the quick shifters cause it makes it smooth and you does, you do like auto blipping, um, so that's done nowadays through a computer. You know, when you downshift, it'll blip the throttle for you via computer. Our computers are doing everything nowadays for you. And uh, they're taking the fun out of riding, damn it. And then it is pretty soon when CITS comes around and everything's driving itself, you know, you probably aren't going to have a self automatically driving or self driving autonomous motorcycles. But what you will have is a DCT on everything with the quick shifter, this and paddle shifter that, and it won't driving won't be driving anymore and riding won't be riding anymore. So damn, I didn't know quick shifting was going to depress me. So number 10, the last thing on this list is a TFT display, which uh, TFT stands for a thin film transistor. And mm, thin film transistors are super cool because they're basically like a colored piece of paper that you can bend, but they project a digital image. And what's nice about them is that, especially with the full color ones, you don't have really a set range and per, like parameters and, and the, you know, when you have like analog or even digital stuff, everything is laid out where it's going to appear. Well, with TFT, since it's all basically, it's like a plasma screen almost, you can, you can customize how stuff looks on the same screen. You can have different looking readouts. You can have like for say for instance like a track day, you can have your 
shift indicator really large so that when you're glancing down, you can see what gear you're in or you, and you can have like the RPMs displayed really big if you don't have a separate tack somewhere, which a lot of these don't. A lot of them are just so big uh, because they're going to, they know they're going to have everything on there that they make them nice and big, you know, sort of like a uh, smartphone display up there. And so what you can do is you can change it for different writing circumstances and you can customize it so that you can see it better if you're not going like to a track day if you're not just if you're just a regular commuter i mean they're a lot easier to see than some of the lcd displays and all that stuff especially when you get sun one of the big complaints about the yamaha bolt was that you couldn't see the fucking speedometer because the angle lent like a smoked lens or something that they had over it and it was lcd so you just you couldn't read shit so they repositioned it the next year uh i think 2014 was the second year of the bolt they repositioned it and basically lightened the lens on it and the c-spec i noticed was also a little bit easier to read because of the way how it sits you're kind of looking straight down at it instead of at an angle so that stuff isn't a problem with tft and color customizations everybody you know ever since uh, nintendo game boy came out everybody's one ahead like a different color for every screen and you know it really helps people don't feel like anything is theirs anymore until they customize it and set the right color so all that shit's possible with tft do you need it no while these um while this list of 10 things to me is like a beyond luxury item. I guess that's where motorcycling's headed. A lot of these things are becoming standard and stock and they really are becoming things you can't live without because as the new generation of riders comes in and these new bikes aren't offered without this stuff anymore, uh, just so that riders are more safe, newer riders are going to look back and think, man, can you believe they used to put drum brakes on vehicles? And can you believe that they didn't have ABS, you know, even on like my 125 scooter with ABS and fuel injection? Can you believe they used to have carburetors? You know, all this great stuff that's going to happen in the future really is just going to be a continuation of what's going to be the norm. And these 10 things that they listed that they can't live without pretty soon will just be 10 standard features of bikes. And I don't know, I can't tell you where the future of motorcycling is headed. Um, and we can only look to the past to know that it's just going to keep evolving. So I, I edited this down from like a 45-minute talk, rant, and tangent. Talk, rant, and tangent. That was my formula for this whole thing. And I've cut it down to like 10 minutes. So thanks to my wife for the tips. And I'm sure all the listeners, all four, four listeners are um, thanking you, hon. That segment is over. And segment number two, speaking of warm hands, came when I was riding to Vegas for the Super Prestigio on my crappy, shitty 250. So as an homage to one of my favorite radio shows, I would like to do uh, something different here. 
And from WMCY, I'd like to bring you Radio Blab, a skit about pumping loss. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Radio Blab, and I'm your host, Jed Abrams' dad. And here with me is my co-host, Robert Sandwich. And we're going to be talking about a fella who is riding a clapped-out 250 to Las Vegas. Uh, 250 motorcycle? Yeah. And something that he thought about the whole way there as he was pinning it against the wind, as he states. Uh, all right. Let's uh, jump into this episode of Radio Blab. Uh, so my name's uh, Donnie Dumbass. So that's Donnie Dumbass. Uh, and I'm like the producer for the creative writing podcast and stuff. So let's go back in time to November 20th when Donnie Dumbass is riding his 250 from Los Angeles over to Las Vegas. Wait a minute. So you're telling me this guy, this stooge, is riding his 250 from Los Angeles to Las Vegas? I mean, isn't that like one of the most purest definitions of insanity? Yeah, let's hear from Danny Dumbass in his own words. Uh, well, yeah, you know, I knew it was kind of insanity to ride a 250 from, like, Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Unless you're doing something like the L.A. Barstow to Vegas on, like, an off-road dirt bike or something. But, you know, I, uh, I've ridden this baby around a while and, uh, you know... I knew what it was capable of, and I was pretty comfortable with it, so I figured, what the heck, you know? I was riding over to see the Super Prestigio, and that's something I didn't want to miss out on. You know, the inaugural one. So, the whole way to Vegas, he's trying to recall something that he'd heard before, and he couldn't quite remember exactly what it was. So, you know, I'm riding over to Las Vegas thinking, man, I ain't got a brain in my head for riding this dumb thing over there. But something else was eating me up, man. Like, I'm riding and I had the throttle wide open the whole way. There was this terrible wind. Well, that's just it, see? He said that there was this wind and it was gusting and he had seen signs when he left Los Angeles And he paid them no attention because he didn't think they'd be a problem for him on his motorcycle. And then I'm riding my motorcycle and it's like being on a broomstick out in traffic. I'm getting blown everywhere. Man, I can only do like 60 miles an hour. But I'm getting great gas mileage. That's the thing. Like, what's the deal? And that's when he remembers... Well, he, he remembers pumping loss. Exactly. So, for me and for the listeners, what exactly is pumping loss? Well, imagine you're a piston. Uh, like the piston inside of a car, for example, like a car's piston? Yeah, or a motorcycle engine, to be precise. But here you are, inside, attached to a crankshaft, going around and around and around, and every time you go up or down, it's it's a stroke. Right. So, for example, you have intake, compression, combustion, exhaust. Intake, compression, combustion, exhaust. Intake, compression, combustion, exhaust. Intake, compression, combustion, exhaust. And over and over and over again, right? Precisely. And 
every time you move up or down, there's a potential loss that can occur based on the power that it takes for you, that, that is taken away from you during one of those strokes. Well, let's look at this from the eyes of the piston. Okay, so we're going to go inside the engine. Yeah, let's follow along. So there you are, pumping up and down inside your cylinder. And with every intake stroke, you're sucking in air at what's called manifold pressure. And manifold pressure, or any pressure for that matter, is measured in inches of mercury, or HG. Right, because... uh. Basically, it's defined as the pressure exerted by a circular column of mercury that's uh, one inch in height at 32 degrees Fahrenheit at the the standard acceleration of gravity. Uh, Do you follow? Are you still with me? Right. Well, what's more important in our situation is the difference between the pressure at the manifold and the exhaust is what we measure as a pumping loss. So what is the difference between the cylinder pressure at intake and exhaust, uh, for example? Well, that precise difference is why Donnie Dumbass got such good gas mileage on the way to Vegas, even though he was pinned at wide open throttle. Ah, things are becoming more clear to me. You see, the exhaust stroke, the piston is pumping air out, and and all it has to do is pump it against the atmosphere, which is about 14.6-ish pounds per square inch. Now, on the intake stroke, if you have the throttle wide open, it's basically sucking in manifold pressure, which, depending is not that much different from atmospheric pressure. However, if you have the throttle partially closed or fully closed, such as in an idle situation, then the Ah, pressure becomes becomes maximum. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. If you have basically the gate closed, no air can come through. So basically you're in a form of vacuum at that point. Correct. As the piston is drawing air in on that intake stroke, the air pressure working on the piston is only about, you know, maybe two pounds per square inch. Now, do you remember those inches of mercury from the beginning? Well, at idle, the vacuum on the piston in the cylinder can actually be as high as 26 inches of mercury, and that leaves only those two pounds to push against the piston. And it's much more work for it to draw air in than it is to push it out at the atmospheric pressure. So that difference between the intake and the exhaust stroke is basically measured as a pumping loss. And when you have engines at wide open throttle, they get much better gas mileage. A smaller displacement engine at wide open throttle can get better gas mileage than a larger displacement engine firing on all cylinders. Oh, well, yeah, right. And that makes sense because you see a lot of um, car manufacturers 
making large displacement engines that can shut off a few cylinders at cruising speed and thus making it a smaller displacement engine and requiring a a wider throttle opening. All right, all right, dude. I'm going to abort this whole thing because it's starting to sound... (laughs) This whole topic and whole skit is devolving into a conversation between Andy Dick and Jay Leno. Like, these voices are terrible, and I'm doing Radiolab no uh, justice. So, basically, what I said was true, though. The pumping loss is actually measured. It's the difference between, you know, how hard the piston has to work on the intake stroke when you have an idle situation or a partial idle or, you know, partial throttle situation where, you know, the exhaust can be pumped out at full capacity, but the idle has to actually work. I'm sorry, the intake stroke has to work to get that air in there. And that's what's measured as a pumping loss. And that's why, you know, as Robert Sandwich said there at the end, you know, the reason that they do have to um, make these larger displacement motors that can run at wide open throttle, they, you know, they shut off some pistons so that they're opening at a wider, or I'm sorry, at a larger throttle opening. And all it does is basically reduce the vacuum or reduces the amount of work that's required by the piston to suck that air in and and reduces pumping losses. And some people think, well, you know, what they do is they kind of shut off the valves to the other cylinders so that they don't, um, you know, no air comes in or out. And people think, well, you know, what, what air is in there still gets like pulled and squished. But what it does is it basically equals itself out because when it gets compressed, it just presses back on the cylinder. It's almost like having a, a low-grade spring in there pressing back on the um, piston. So it does not create um, any sort of sucking and pushing in. Ooh, that makes um, pumping loss sound kind of sexy. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't create any any negatives on the shutoff cylinders because they're trying to suck something that's not there or push something or compress air that's in there. It just kind of washes out. So basically that's what pumping loss is. That's why um, Donnie dumbass got such gas mileage on the way to Vegas. It's because it's wide open the whole the whole way. Uh, being on a 250 had to be wide open the whole way. And despite the terrible wind pushing against um, me, a.k.a. Donnie Dumbass. Um, That's why, uh, I guess, I'm guessing that's why my 250 gets better gas mileage than any other bike I've ever ridden. It's just because to get anywhere, I've got to be wide open throttle, and I'm I'm basically creating, like, less resistance for for the motor to, you know, have to generate in order to make up for that loss. All right, well... Um, I've ruined your life enough and oh, God damn, did I just butcher any sort of resemblance to Radiolab? Although it was in parody to begin with. I mean, that was just terrible. Well, let's move on to a couple things that I normally do at the beginning of the show, which is, you know, some news. I better kill this music for some news. You know what I'm saying? Oh, actually, it's on a ducking, so it's it's good. All right, so uh, right before Christmas, NHTSA announced a f- 
recall on the YCF R1 and the R1M. And basically, it's the 2015 models, and they're recalling them because of a drivetrain lockup. Um, it says the tranny gears can break, and it can cause the rear wheel to lock. So, yeah, if you got a 2015 YZF R1 or R1M, uh, let me tell you the exact model numbers. YZF R1, YZF R1C, YZF R1MF, and YZF R1MFC. Then uh, take them in, get them checked out, make sure you're not going to break a tooth, lock a, lock a tire up, and slide off the road like Goose and Mad Max. So, I recently read an old article on Gizmodo written by Wes Seiler, who, you know, if you are familiar with Ride Apart or any of that stuff, you'll know who I'm talking about. And uh, it was about riding gear and why you should wear it and, like, what do you want to know about not wearing it? And he made a really good point on there about um, a general rule of thumb. I'm going to quote it here. Given the average coefficient of friction for a road surface, that you'll lose a millimeter of flesh for every one mile per, per hour you're going over 30 when you hit. So, yeah, um, I guess around 55 miles an hour, you're talking about an inch of flesh, which is about, I want to say, 20 millimeters, something like that. Anyway, also, uh, he makes a good point that Mark Marquez has crashed going at 209 miles an hour and walked away. Even if it was with some bruises and scratches, you wouldn't be walking away if you just had your t-shirt on and your, or your flannel long sleeve and Levi's. So wear gear. Not really news, but just a reminder. Don't be dumb. Dakar gets underway in approximately one day. And there's some other great stuff coming up this month that I will announce probably later in the show. Well, guys, here's a drop from the future. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, I just I was just looking at the Consumer Electronics Showcase, and I posted it on the blog already. Uh, that's the great thing about doing a podcast, going back in time and telling you guys that, hey... BMW, have you seen those new laser headlights that they have out? That's insanity. And that heads-up display helmet that they featured, that is directly out of our CITS um, V2V, V2I episode. If you haven't heard that one, go back and check it out. I believe it's episode number four. And what can I say, man? BMW is always pushing the limits with their technology and all the crazy things that they bring to biking. Going back earlier to this episode, things you can't live without. I mean, pretty soon, hey, maybe laser headlights will be the standard and heads-up displays will be in every in every helmet. And now back to our podcast recorded before Christmas. I'm sorry, before New Year's. All right, everybody. Well, I was perusing the pages of Cycle News and let me plug Cycle News real fast. It is one of the best online publications on the web in my opinion they cover everything from products sports what's going on in the motorcycle industry and whatnot and they have a really good handle on uh, new products coming out 
And one that caught my eye was the Virus V-Moto, and they call it the First Layer Collection. And basically, they it's a total of six pieces, and they've been designed to help you either stay warm or cool and dry and comfortable. And basically, it's designed as a protective and cooling first layer. Uh, this is the stay cool technology that they have. And basically, what it's what it's there to is provide you um, comfort on the street or the track so that you can improve your, you know, let's say increase your time in both elements so that you don't get uncomfortable. You don't want to, you know, stop and, and disrobe or anything like that. The first product that they reviewed was the Stay Cool Boot Cut Pant. It's unique because it has the, a, a compression pattern integrated into it that helps fight muscle fatigue and regulate blood flow. I'm quoting directly from Cycle News. The compression pattern that helps fight muscle fatigue, regulate blood flow, and stabilize body temperature featuring specially engineered gel prints to keep outerwear separated while reinforcing rider positioning. End quote. So basically it sounds like this thing is like a form-fitting um, stay cool technology that would just, it'll help you like it says, stay comfy and extend your ride. And, and uh, you know, next time you get off on the bike, you'll be looking forward to it rather than remembering the last time you rode, how hot and cramped you were and, you know, lost, maybe you lose um, blood flow to your feet and whatnot. So that's, this is a really, really cool that they have integrated these uh, compression patterns to fight muscle fatigue. So the second piece they talk about is the Stay Cool Mock Neck, and it delivers support apparently protection and comfort it's a sort of fabric that keeps you separated from your outerwear so that you're not sticking to it and you're not getting hot i mean there's like a layer there to let your body wick moisture away and and whatnot so i mean that's also extending your your time on the bike and if you live anywhere hot like you know right now it's pouring in socal but uh usually it's pretty warm here and basically i've been looking for some some cool or heat out sort of material to ride around in because it gets pretty hot around here and especially in the summertime in this fucking drought that we've been in for 97 years so the next thing that they review is the v-moto stay cool power mesh shorts and basically it's the same sort of thing it separates you somewhat from your pants and it basically has a traction print on it that helps you uh it improves the sensation you get back from your motorcycle. So it's, it says, to quote the Cycle World article, it improves feel between rider and machine. And, um, yeah, so the leg openings have a, a, a non-slip grip surface around them. So that's a pretty cool that, you know, if you have ever got tired from hugging the tank or uh, a, lot of, a lot of off-road stuff actually has you know grippy inners so that you can you can do that and and not get you know you're not squeezing it for all you uh people out there that love to squeeze stuff between your legs it's like the thigh master you know your motorcycle basically turns into a piece of workout equipment but with this stuff it makes it that much easier not only does it keep you cool keeps you holding on it's like velcro for your crotch All right. Well, the next piece that they in, uh, reviewed was the V-Moto Stay Cool Sleeveless Top, which you got to totally pimp when you're r- wearing your cut around SoCal in the summertime with your skin lid on and all that great shit. The sleeveless top also has their jade power mesh, and it allows for like more airflow and cooling. 
while retaining protective qualities. And basically, it looks like your 1989 Motley Crue t-shirt, except it's a, you know, sleeveless so that you go to the gym, you show off those guns. There's no Motley Crue logo on the front, so sorry about that. You're going to have to put your own on there. And the next thing is the V-Moto Stay Warm Inferno Compression Pant. And it's got a compression fit that combats fatigue, and it also helps support you so that your muscles don't get tired while you're riding, so that you can actually improve your time on the bike. You get, you, you're able to last longer. Your body, I've ridden in super cold weather here that, you know, in SoCal you never expect it to be cold, but then you go 70 miles an hour on the f- freeway and you're get, you realize that you're shaking a little bit, and you really do you start to grip the bike more you're trying to hold your legs still well this not only keeps you warm but it fights that fatigue by helping you you know compress your uh compress your muscles and and help you help you grip on so amen for this and it's uh, it allows knee braces to be worn without the the need for like a knee sock so that you can get a better range of motion and all of these are made with uh, comfort in mind and the last thing that they reviewed was the V-Moto long sleeve, which allows you to, you know, be protected, be comfortable, and be warm without having to wear like several layers. You don't look like the guy in Christmas Story where your arms are stuck out to the side, or you know, it's hard to articulate your joints back and forth when you're riding, especially if you're riding dirt or something, or you're you're off road, or if you're going through twisties and whatnot, you really want to be able to move. You know what I mean? And staying warm and, and mobility and warmth is, you know, sometimes counteracts each other. So this says, to quote them, it allows the rider to be able to bulk down. So that's, that's what I was talking about. And um, it's got like a mock turtleneck so that it keeps your neck warm, which is always a problem for me. You usually have to wear like a scarf or something, look like a 1920s, Sop with camel pilot trying to keep your neck warm. So this is cool that it extends up there. They they took that into consideration, and they really looks like uh, if you go to cyclenews.com and you look for the virus V Moto first layer collection, they they have a graphic of all of them there, so you can see how they're going to work and see how they're going to fit. So they look pretty badass. I have to say, I will probably be checking into some cold weather riding gear and at the least some some pants for warm keep me warm because it's been unexpectedly cold in california it's been like 60 here (laughs) i'm not a total gear nerd so i like have to scour the internet for this stuff um but jumping over to revzilla i know one of the ladies from the motorific podcast works at Revzilla. So giving them a shout out. I love that uh, podcast because I have two ladies in my life and I know that when they're ready for riding gear, I'm going to be relying on the opinion of a woman rather than some some 300-pound dude behind the counter at uh, some store trying to hawk some gear. So basically, they've got some uh, holiday blowout gear going on up for up for grabs and for instance, they have the Joe Rocket R1000X lithium helmet. And doesn't the R1000X sound like a BMW model? And to match that, they got some Joe Rocket gloves. 
the Rocket Nation 2.0 gloves. So they got lots of good gear going out right now. They basically just have a trillion billion gloves, some warm weather gear. And I would be not surprised if people right now, especially here on the West Coast, where all of a sudden we got this El Nino, which means the Nino in Spanish. And uh, all of a sudden we need some like warm riding gear or some rain gear to keep these freaking buckets of water off our backs. So, uh, and actually I applaud some dude. I, he was on a, I think it was a Suzuki Bergman. Um, I saw him ride. I was going to pick up my kids from daycare the other day and it was coming down so hard. I couldn't even see in my car. I mean, you know, I I drive blindfolded, so I I, I usually can't see anyway, but I could hear the rain coming down. I I knew if I wasn't driving blindfolded that I wouldn't be able to see. So this dude on a Suzuki Bergman cruises by, and I was like, holy crap. I did a slow clap for him. Of course, my windows were rolled up, and he couldn't hear me. But um, I stuck my top half of my body out the window and drove with my feet and was clapping at him. He couldn't see me. You know, If he had a review helmet, he could have seen me. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, yeah, good, good, uh, good for us in SoCal. Maybe we'll be, um, purchasing, maybe we'll get some water finally in Southern California. We'll look a little more green and also maybe it will pump up some sales for some of these gear companies that, you know, if you live in the North, Northeast or East coast in general, even the Midwest, I guess you, you're prepped for cold weather and all of a sudden they're going to see this new uh, segment of idiots from Southern California not wanting to get wet. So, by the way, if you do live in the northern part of this country, I want you to say hi to somebody for me. His name is Chris, and I believe he's in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And uh, just wanted to give a big shout out to Chris. He uh, hit me up on email the other day, and so can you at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget that. Put put that in your wallet, son of a bitch. So, all right. Next. Most annoying transition ever. Come on. Ah, That one was that was crummy. All right. Next. Uh, Here's the thing I wanted to talk about that you will not believe that is motorcycle related. And since I've already messed up the Radiolab segment that I tried to do, trying to parody Radiolab, I'm going to go ahead and honor Radiolab and talk about something I heard on one of their wonderful podcasts. And it had to do with guts, specifically uh, a bacteria that uh, can be present in your gut. And this bacteria is commonly in yogurt. It's called a probiotic, and it's known as lactobacillus. What lactobacillus does is it increases this stuff called GABA in the brain. And what I thought was really interesting about this whole story, the whole takeaway, was that uh, some researchers in Ireland at the University College Cork, there was a neuroscientist who introduced lactobacillus into some mice and then they did this test with this mice where they dropped some mice into a bowl of water and what happened was mice that did not have the lactobacillus uh, fed to them struggled in the water for about four minutes and then they gave up 
And the way they did is uh, they just floated there and they didn't try to get out anymore. They just kind of gave up and uh, I guess they figured, you know, I'm just going to float here until I don't float here anymore. So he'd, he'd pluck him out of the water. And basically in a real world situation, they would have just, they gave up and they drowned. And that that's like a natural instinct. It's like the fight or flight. And once you figure that you're not going to make it, sometimes you just, you stop trying. So the mice with lactobacillus introduced into their gut, uh, they got dropped into some water. And after two minutes, they kept trying. And after four minutes, they kept trying. And five minutes and six minutes. And I think he said he pulled him around around, pulled him out of the water around six or seven minutes. But, you know, he didn't want to keep stressing them out too bad. But the thing is, is they just, they never gave up. They tried just as hard at minute six or seven or whatever it was as they did at minute, you know, one, minute one half. So he wondered if it was from lactobacillus. And, and that's how they figured that, you know, the gut bacteria is somehow sending these messages or, or sending an increase of GABA to the brain, which GABA is like, I believe they said it's a, like a neural stimulator, like it's a positive receptor or something like that. Maybe it even increases the, uh, the good receptors, like the pleasure receptors in the brain and whatnot. So what happened is they decided to test it and see if it was the lactobacillus that was doing this. And if it was actually what was responsible for increasing the GABA in the brain. So they took these same mice that had lactobacillus introduced into their gut and they cut their vagus nerve. Well, the vagus nerve is like a big nerve bundle that runs through your core. And they found out that the vagus nerve is what sent the stimuli to the brain and increased GABA in the brain, which reduced the panic response in the tests. Because when they cut the vagus nerve, even though these mice still had lactobacillus in their systems, they gave up after four minutes, just like the mice who didn't have lactobacillus in their system. So what I was thinking about this is they was, hey, in humans, maybe this, you know, could increase your, your, not your pleasure receptors, but it makes you calm. What it does is it reduces the, your panic response. And and the thing was is that these mice that, that did not have lactobacillus, they were fighting and they were getting a bunch of um, adrenaline and everything pumped into their body. And that's good because that makes you fight and that makes you, you know, want to struggle and, and, and succeed and, and get out of the panic situation. But after a while, that just basically your body wears down and they were too tired to go on. And that's why the mice basically just quit and just floated at, you know, at that point. But the GABA from the lactobacillus, it, it reduced the panic response enough to where they didn't poop out. I mean, it, it, it reduced it to where they were able to keep, you know, going, um, and, rationalize I don't know if a mouse can rationalize but basically you get what I'm saying they they were able to not be flooded with so much adrenaline and whatnot that they just like overdid it right out of the bat and four minutes in they just give up on life so they they thought about this and they tested it in humans and the same thing happened so my question and my whole takeaway was from this was that if they're using this in humans to when humans are anxious and when humans have anxiety problems, um, 
you know, that we have the same thing happen to us that the mouse floating in the water does. We're fighting, we're fighting, you know, we're, we're worried for no good reason. And lactobacillus is like one of the easiest ways, good gut health, it turns out, is one of the easiest ways to negate that effect, send some GABA to the brain and reduce the panic response and, and reduce anxiety. And it made me think about people in writing situations, uh, could good gut health, if you're not already there, or maybe if you are there, you would know, maybe are you a better writer? Because you're able to process things a little better. You're not as stressed out right off the bat about things. And when you go on a ride, are you always white knuckling everywhere? Cause you're like a little bit anxious about, you know, the way your bike's handling, what's coming up, how to take a turn, whatnot. And if you're, Maybe if you're, uh, you know, a healthy writer, do you have things under control? Are you more calm? I mean, I just, I wondered. And if you're not there, maybe you could experiment and start like eating probiotic stuff and see if it reduces the uh, anxiety you feel. Or, you know, if you've got like even low-grade anxiety or you're nervous about going on a huge group ride, anything like that. I'm just, I don't know how long the efficacy period is, which is like how long before you feel the effects of taking it. I'm sure you can't just like eat a bowl of Activia before you go on a ride and it calms you down. But then again, I, I don't know. I don't know how long the they tested the effects um, and how long it stays in your system and all that stuff. But it is something to think about and just made me think about all these New Year's resolutions that people make to get healthier. And since it's, you know, New Year's time, I was thinking, man, I wonder if this is going to spawn, like this new research will spawn an, a new group of calmer people. And if it, as riders, will make you a little bit better when you're out there in the twisties or even, you know, maybe in a freeway or some stressful situations, just being eating gut healthy food calm you down a little bit and help you ride better and uh, more rationally. So that was the interesting, weird little thing I wanted to talk about before wrapping this little baby up. I need to pause right now to listen to all the people I may have offended and get that list together. And before I do that, I wanted to shout out a couple things that are coming up this weekend. It's going to be the Mid-America Motorcycles by Meekum Auctions. It's a vintage and antique auction of over 700 motorcycles, and it's going to take place from January 7th through 9th at the South Point in Las Vegas, Nevada. They got some pretty bitchin' motorcycles. I kind of previewed it uh, online, and I saw it in a magazine and was looking at some of the bikes they're going to have there. It looks pretty incredible. Uh, January 9th. Anaheim One is going to be going off if you're a, a motocross fan or an arena cross fan, rather. Anaheim One's coming up this weekend, baby. Also, January 9th and 10th, which is this weekend, Del Mar Flat Track. They're having a day at the races and a Ascot tribute, I believe. So check it out. It's a doubleheader. It's the season opener for the Ivy League Flat Track Series. And don't miss it. Uh, Coming up January 17th, the Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club is taking a trip to Lhasa Engineering. Check out their website for details. It's VVMC, Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club. Uh, I could put a link in the show notes if you're too lazy to go and Google that. So I just might have to for some of you out there. I know. I know you guys. Um, Also... 
January 23rd at Alex's Bar in Long Beach. There is going to be some music and a full bar. And why, you ask? Well, Hell on Wheels is raising money for the Mexican 1000. And all the proceeds are going to be split between the three teams, which consist of BA Moto, the Hell on Wheels team, and the Yellow Jackets. Uh, and 517 Racing? Maybe there's four teams that are splitting some the proceeds from that fundraiser so that they can go race the Mexican 1000 this year. So go check that out if you're going to be in the area. And even if you're not into Mexican 1000 or motorcycles, live music and a bar is always a plus. Uh, January 24th, two things going off. Again, the Hell on Wheels steeplechase at Glen Helen, and it's going to be on the trophy truck track. And my friend is going to be skipping the flat track races and going to that one, or tentatively, that's that's her schedule. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And also, Wera West Coast, or the Wera West uh, 2016 season opener at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana is also January 24th. And that's a pretty good listing of stuff going on. Others, you know, there's there's a lot of other uh, national stuff going on. That's just some local stuff. So check it out. Uh, here is the list of people I need to apologize to for even mentioning them. Okay, go. To we would like to apologize to the following people: my wife, Krampus. Sorry, we lost your audio, buddy. We'll see you next. December 6th. Gore-Tex, and not because it's a product we mentioned, but because it was invented by Wilbert and Robert Gore, who are two people we mentioned, and we should probably also apologize to Al Gore. Uh, Vlogs and mamas, and any mama who's vlogging. Yamaha Bolt and the Bolt C-Spec. Oh my god, the world's biggest apology to Radiolab. And anyone who's possibly named Jed Abrams Dab and Robert Sandwich. And Jed Abramrod and Robert Krolwich. I love you, Radio Lab, and I thought I could uh, pull it off, but just had to, had to stab that baby in the eye. Donnie Dumbass. Anybody named Donnie Dumbass, by the way, too. Uh, the Creative Writing Podcast. Wow. You guys owe everybody an apology. We're sorry to Las Vegas. Uh, we're sorry to Jay Leno and Andy Dick, who basically <laughs> was what our J- Jed Abrams' dad and Robert Sandwich sounded like. So didn't even sound like the guys we were trying to. Uh, we're sorry to Wes Seiler and Ride Apart and Wildlife or whatever your new blog is. Wes, we're a pretty big fan of your writings, and uh, I've been watching you for a long time, buddy. And... Sorry to even mention you on the world's crappiest podcast about motorcycling. Mark Marquez, we are sorry for mentioning you. Uh, The Consumer Electronics Showcase, BMW, their new laser light bulbs, their heads-up display, and their sits, all that great stuff. We're sorry. Damn it, we're sorry. We said it. Don't make us say it again. Cycle News, we're very sorry, but we'll read you every Monday. Best publication on the web. Virus and the V-Moto base layer six item collection that we talked about we're sorry to revzilla we're sorry to motorific and i don't remember your last name but joanne from motorific that works at revzilla i'm just gonna say sorry to you 
We're sorry to Joe Rocket. We're sorry to the Suzuki Bergman. We're sorry to Lactobacillus. We are sorry to the uh, University of County Cork, Ireland. Let me read my notes. Uh, University College Cork and the neuroscientist in Ireland that did the lactobacillus test on the mice. Little mice, we're sorry that you got dunked in water, but you know what? We're glad to know that it'll stress us out less now if we get this probiotic in our gut. And most of all, we're sorry to you, the listener, that had to sit through another hour that you've completely... We probably haven't wasted it because you're probably listening to it while you fall asleep on heroin or something. So, all right. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a shithead. Don't you ever answer the fucking phone? This your old man. I could be dying of a goddamn heart attack, and you ain't answering the goddamn phone. I tell you what, boy, I don't know what I'm gonna do to you, fucking ass. No. I just need to be smart and generally give the illusion of warmth. Dude, I live in SoCal. I wasn't in SoCal. I was out in the, what looks like a gigantic. Uh, CB radio or like... In case you wondered, in case anybody gives a shit. Watch out for this in the corner or, hey, did you see that dog on the side of the road? Or, hey, check out that old truck. Or, hey, look at that bandana flapping on the fence post. Or, hey, wasn't that tree beautiful? Or, hey, look at those leaves. Hey, isn't the sky pretty from this vantage point? Hey, your back tire's shaking. Hey, your butt looks good in those leathers. Anyway, all you'll need... 1983 cordless phone hanging off your helmet anymore. All right, go shit in someone's stocking. All you'll hear is the people that are around you so that it remains... So, um, we go back to November 6th. November 6th. I want to review some tires. Here are some 1923... I'm editing all this out. This is just me being a fucking dummy. It's because at low Low, small throttle up because let's face it, I'm a fucking dummy. Actually, let me noodle around on my guitar. Yeah, I'll call you some time tomorrow.